we're going to begin a, a, a series um, on the resurrections in Scripture. There are about 10 of them. Um, we'll be looking at that from now all the way through Easter. So Easter Sunday, we'll obviously talk about the most important resurrection, and that's the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But up until that point, we'll look at some of the other passages in the Bible where there are people that are raised from the dead. And we find the first instance of that in 1 Kings chapter 17. Now, chapter 17 opens up with a pretty bold statement from a pretty brash and previously unknown prophet. He says, there shall not, this is verse 1 right at the end, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. Now, he's saying that not according to his word, Elijah is the man, but according to the Lord's words, he's reflecting what the Lord has to say. But nonetheless, he is making a pretty bold statement, made even more bold by the fact that he is stay, saying it in the presence of Ahab, a man who is the king, the leader of Israel at the time. In chapter 16, you're right there in chapter 17, just go back a few verses in verse 33, you see that Ahab, this man that he's talking to, he said he did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel that were before him. Some of you Bible students know that the kings of Israel were not good kings as a, on the whole. And basically he's saying, you know how bad all them were? He was the worst. He was the worst. And here Elijah walks into his throne room and says to him, you, there's not going to be any rain anymore for, until the Lord says there's going to be rain. He's saying that to a man who made God, ups, get, made God angry. And Ahab did all this because what he had done was he had took something called Baal worship. It's, again, we're, we live in 2020. We don't, we don't worship idols in the same way, not in the Western world. But they had something called Baal, which was a god that they, they would worship at the time, a religion that they, they held to. It would have been a, a, a god from neighboring countries. But Ahab, the reason God was so mad with him, was not that he just dabbled in it. But he, along with his wife, a woman named, y'all know this name, Jezebel. You know Jezebel. Everybody knows who Jezebel. Everybody's heard that name before. But his wife was a woman of Phoenicia. She was from a bordering country, really, and, uh, and from the Zidonian region. You'll see that in chapter 16 and verse 31 and 32. He, he marries that woman, and those two together become, they actually take fail worship and don't just have his little side business. They bring it and make it the main religion of the land of Israel. There's not, up most of these other kings, not that this is right, but at least most of these other kings would worship God on one hand and then out these Baal worship on the other hand. And Ahab and Jezebel just basically said, no, we'll just go ahead and worship Baal. We'll forget about the Lord God. So this man, Elijah, his name is Elijah. That word actually means, if you break his name down, it actually means that my God is Yahweh. My God is Yahweh. He actually is walking in there saying, I know your God's Baal, but my God is Yahweh. My God is the one true God. He drops these words in the presence of Ahab kind of like a bomb. And then in verses 2 through 6, we won't read that now, God tells him to go out into the back country and wait out the drought. Remember, he told Ahab not going to rain for a long time. It's going to end up being three years. We learned that in another chapter. It's going to be three years. So he goes to the back country waits it out, drinks some water from a creek, and eats from a, a bird. And, of course, that drought's going on so long, and that creek dries up on him. You see that in verse 7. And now God sends him to a place. It's an interesting place that he sends him. If you'll look at it in just a moment, we'll read some of these verses, but you'll look there, and he actually sends him to Zarephath. This is in verse 8. 
Zarephath of Zidon. Now, I don't know if y'all heard me when I told you where Jezebel was from, but I want you to know that Jezebel was from Zidon. She, he is going, for all intents and purposes, to Jezebel's hometown. He's not going to Israel. He's going outside of Israel. He's going into the, to the, to this area that's outside of Israel. He is going to her hometown, essentially. In verses 9 through 16, which we're not going to read, but you could look at that story at some point, where it recounts God's provision for this woman, this widow woman that God uses to provide for Elijah, but in doing so, he also provides for her family, for her needs, for her, for her, uh, for her needs, for her family, while, she, while the rest of the world around them is starving, because there's a drought, there's no crops growing. Everybody else around them starving, God provides for this woman. But now I want to pick up in verse 17. This is really where I want to focus your attention. I just want to give you that backstory of where we've gone. I want you to see in verse 17, we're going to pick up after all of that has happened, and here's what goes on in verse 17. We're going to read all the way to the end of the chapter. I will ask you, if you're able to, to stand with me uh, for the reading of the Lord's words. We'll begin in verse 17 of chapter 17, and we'll read down to verse 24. Here's what the Scripture says. And it came to pass after these things that the son of the woman, this is the woman of Zarephath that we were just talking about, the mistress of the house fell sick, and his sickness was so sore that there was no breath left in him. He died, that's what that means. And she said unto Elijah, What have I to do with thee, O thou man of God? Art thou come unto me to call my sin to remembrance and to slay my son? And he said unto her, Give me thy son. And he took him out of her bosom and carried him up into a loft where he abode and laid him on his own bed. And he cried unto the Lord and said, O Lord my God, hast thou also brought evil upon the widow with whom I sojourned by slaying her son? He stretched himself upon the child three times and cried unto the Lord and said, O Lord my God, I pray thee, let this child's soul come into him again. And the Lord heard the voice of Elijah, and the soul of the child came into him again, and he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down out of the chamber into the house and delivered him unto his mother. And Elijah said, See, thy son liveth. And the woman said to Elijah, Now by this I know that thou art a man of God, and that the word of the Lord in thy mouth is true. Let's pray together. Lord, please Help these people to hear who you are, the kind of God you are, the kind of provision that you make for us. Lord, you are the one who provides life. You are the one who sustains life. Help us to appreciate that from this incident, this account of this woman who lost her son and that you brought him back. Please help us to trust you for life. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You all can be seated. We have um, entered into, with this story in verse 17, we have entered into a very terrible story. Starts off that this woman is a widow. That on its own, well, for any time, any era of time, that is a bad situation to have to be in. You love someone and you lost them. That's on its own painful, right? Some of you have experienced that. I can see some people in this room that have experienced that. So that alone is painful. Add to that that in the era of time that she lived, when she lost her husband, 
She also lost, probably because of the culture of the time, she lost really any measure of wealth, any measure of ability to care for herself. She probably had to sustain herself, if she was able to do it at all, simply by, because she did have a house, it looks like, by maybe keeping boarders, keeping people who would just come by and stay in the house. And the Lord knows what kind of people she would have had to take in, what kind of abuse she might have had to suffer in order to do that. So here's a woman who is, in, she's at loss, she is lost, she is in trouble, she's already in a bad situation, but now she's enduring a famine. She's enduring, go all the way to verse 12 with me, we didn't read this. In verse 12 there, she is enduring a famine and she is, as she's talking to Elijah, she says, I don't even have, I have not a cake, but a handful of meal and a barrel and a little oil and a cruise. She says, I just got enough enough food just to make a little bit of something he says i'm gathering two sticks that's all i'm doing i'm just getting two sticks to put together and i'm gonna go in and dress it for me and my son that we may eat it and die i mean here's a woman in a bad situation that goes from bad to worse she is in a situation where it is just it is it's it's the end there's no hope for her and now even though we do understand that 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 she's obviously made it through that particular incident in verse 12 but she now has her only son in verse 17 where we picked up the story her only son he falls sick and he dies and i just want to i don't know that we have any skeptics in this room but as i was preparing for this one of the things a lot of people were skeptical about is whether or not the boy actually died if he just passed out or something the words that are used here i just want to clarify this for you it says that there was no breath left in him that doesn't just mean he got the wind knocked out of him that means there was nothing going on there. There was no breathing happening. He was so sick. It was kind of an extreme statement that was made. He was so sick. He wasn't just hurting. He was no more breath in him. He was dead. He was making it clear. That's what the writer here is trying to tell us. It's absolutely, absolutely dead. So again, if there are any skeptics in the room, I want you to know he was dead. <laughs> he was dead. And as you can imagine, I mean, I, I can't imagine. I have four, child, four children, and if any one of them gets hurt, I get upset about it. I couldn't imagine if one died and how I would have pain I would feel and some of you have felt that loss and I would imagine it would hurt her so bad and she would be so upset about it in fact we see how upset she was she's frustrated she says there in verse 18 what have I to do with thee O thou man of God here's Elijah that's come into her house and I I don't blame her let's don't get mad at this woman here she's been doing everything this man has told her to do and he has helped her to be fair, but he, she's done everything he's told her to do. And here, her son gets up and sick and dies. And he, she's mad at the man of God. He says, is God out to get me? Is God trying to judge me for my sin? That's what he says there in the last part. She says, art thou come to call my sin to remembrance and to slay my son? Are you out to get me? Are you judging me for my sins? And if y'all can't identify with that, y'all ain't lived. You ever get to that point where you just say, God, are you just trying to hurt me? God, God what, what did I do wrong here? Did I do something to hurt you or offend you in some way? I'm not suggesting you're right to say it. I'm just saying we have said it. I have said that. I have felt that way before. What have I done to deserve this, God? And that's the attitude that she has in this moment. But what she's missing in all of this, and again, I don't blame her. That's why we need this story. So we need it to be told to us because in the middle of the moment, we're going to be the same way. But what gets missed is that even the fact of this opportunity for this boy to die, and I know this sounds horrible coming out of my mouth, but I want you to hear me, when even the opportunity for this boy to die was a 
example of God's grace. And why, why do I say that? I read to you verse 12. Until the prophet showed up, she was ready to serve her son his last meal. She was ready to just go ahead and give up and die because it was that bad. She was in that kind of condition. It was at the end of her life. But then she bring, he brings uh, Elijah along, and verse 14 says, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, The barrel of meal shall not waste, neither shall the cruise of oil fail, until the day that the Lord sendeth rain upon the earth. He said to this woman, he says, You know that little bit of, little bit of food you're scraping the bottom of the barrel to put together a little bitty cake that probably wouldn't even feed nobody? He says, That's never going to run out. Every time you go in there, you're going to be able to make a cake that's big enough for the three of us. You're going to be able to make, he said, that little bit of oil that you're just trying to, you're, 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 you're putting your finger around the rim of it, trying to get something out of it. He said, next time you go in there, it's just going to pour and it's just going to come out and you're going to get enough of it. In fact, you might even have to say, let's back off that oil just a little bit because there's enough in there because of what he's providing. He's saying that what I'm doing, what the Lord God is doing is he's providing for her in her time of need. He's given her provision. And it says in verse 15, look at the last part of that. Did, and, that she and he, speaking of Elijah, and her house, which would speak of her son, did eat many days. This was not just something that happened once or twice. This happened for many, many days. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us how long of a time between this incident of meeting Elijah and this incident of her son dying, but there was at least a few days, at least probably a week or two at the minimum, probably months and months had passed at this time and so they had provision here's a woman who was on her last leg really she was ready to die she was expecting her son to be gone and all around her just don't miss don't miss this here she is in a dry desert place because of this this drought everywhere around her there were women in her situation who were losing probably sons and daughters and husbands and friends and cousins and un uncles and aunts and mothers and fathers there were people all around her losing people i know this because in luke chapter 4 jesus references this and he said there were many widows in israel in the days of elias but unto none of them was elias sent save sarepta the city of sidon unto the widow the woman that was a widow he's saying jesus said i wanted her to be helped he came to her there were people all around her losing their children but this woman had her son saved because of god's provision because of god's loving provision she actually has a son to lose if God had not provided, there would be not, this wouldn't even be a story in the Bible. We'd just have another woman lost a boy and had been moved on, just went on. But the Lord intervened because God had a loving provision. She even has a prophet to yell at. She even has a, think about this. Her boy would have died over here in verse 12. If that would have happened, all she could have done was just sat down beside him and die. She doesn't even have a prophet to yell at if that's the case. But because God has brought Elijah along, she can actually go in and say, what's wrong with you, man? Help me out here. She actually has this. Now, now I want you to hear me real clear. You're, if you're listening to what I'm saying, I'm trying to listen to what I'm saying, and I'm, and I'm sitting here saying, man, that feels weird. But here's the thing. It doesn't take away the grief. Some of you that have lost loved ones, some of you that have lost big financial losses, other pains and suffering and loss in your life, you know that the pain is still real, the grief is still real. It doesn't take the grief away, but what it does do or what it should do is to bring your full joy into sharp 
and full focus. You see, she should know, and she knows this by the end of the story, just spoiler alert, she knows at the end of the story, she should know that God is trustworthy. She should know that God is on her side. God is loving her. God is looking out for her. God cares for her. His work up to this point has proven that he does care for her, and his work will continue to show that. And I'm trying to see, I want you all to see this for your own sake. Whatever it is that you either have gone through or about to go through or will go through in the future that you don't even know about yet, I want you to know that God is on your side. God loves you. God is looking out for you. God is providing for you. He is, he is looking what you want. He's looking at that, that, that what your needs are, and he is meeting those. In fact, it even tells me in the Bible that he sent Jesus to die on the cross, and that was before, it was foreordained. It was done before the foundations of the world. In other words, he's been planning this for a while. He's not sitting up in heaven looking at you and saying, well, I wonder what's going to happen. Oh, my goodness. Oh, I didn't expect this one. No, no, he's looking out for you. He is watching this, and everything he's done to this point is trying to help you. Where would I be if it weren't for the Lord's intervention in my life? I am glad. We sang, they sang this the other night on Friday night. I am glad that he still saves old sinners. Because if he did not save me, Lord knows where I would be and what I would be doing. And y'all can all give the same testimony. Had the Lord not intervened in your life, you might be complaining about some stuff today, and rightly so. But had the Lord not intervened in your life the way he did, that you heard his message, you might have something to complain about today, but that thing would not even exist to complain about had it not been for the Lord's intervention in your life. What I want you to understand is that God is working in your life. God is for you. God is on your side. So go ahead and complain. I'm not trying to tell you not to complain to the Lord. I like the way the, uh, way the, the psalmist, I think it was David, I think it's over in Psalm 142. I apologize if I'm off on my psalm. I'm going off my memory. But he talks about how he poured out his complaint before the Lord. He just poured out his complaint before the Lord. I'm not saying don't complain. I'm saying go ahead and complain to the Lord. Just pour out your grief to God and trust that he cares for you. There's some people you can go up to and you could talk to them and say, hey, Bill, I, I'm worried about this, that, the other thing. And they might look at you and say, well, get over it, buddy. There might be some people, you might have friends like that. You might have some other people you talk to them about it and they'll be like, well, let me go tell somebody else about it. You got all kinds of friends. Don't we have those kind of friends? But you pour it out to the Lord. You may not get, we just heard Chrissy sing a song that gave us that essential, it may not be the way you want it, but he's going to help you. He loves you. He cares for you. He wants to hear from you. He is for you. Pour out your complaint to the Lord and trust his answer. Go ahead and cry. I don't, I don't, I don't trust these people that say that, 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 it's, that you, you, know, you ought not be upset or hurt when bad things happen. I know we all handle grief differently. I get that. But let me just go ahead and tell you that it is human being, and if something hurts, you cry. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing bad about that. Nothing wrong with that. But when you do, go ahead and cry. Go ahead and bawl your eyes out. Go ahead and do that. But trust the Lord to provide what you need when you need it. That doesn't mean it's not going to hurt in the process. I want to be clear because I don't want to preach a false gospel to you. It might hurt a lot. You might feel like you're going to die. 
In fact, I'll go ahead and tell you, it is appointed unto man once to die. We might actually die. But go ahead and grieve. Your father hears you. He loves you. He cares for you. He's for you. And he will provide exactly what you need. You say, well, if I'm dead, what do I need? Well, you need eternal life in heaven. And you know, if you'll just cry out to him, he will provide that to you. He will. He's promised that he would. He says, whosoever believeth on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ shall be saved. You call upon the name of the Lord, you'll be saved. He said that. He's promised that. So even death does not even separate us from his love. There is nothing. All we have to do is go ahead and cry out and trust him. But I want you to understand that, yeah, you can go ahead and complain. You can go ahead and cry, but just cry to the Lord, complain to the Lord, and let him, trust him to work through it for you. She had something to lose because of the provision of Yahweh, because of the provision of God. You have something to lose only because of God's provision. But you know, not only do you have something to lose, but you have everything in the world to gain because of Yahweh's provision. In verse 23, we see that she got her son back. It's a beautiful scene. I could only imagine what that was like. I remember one time when Harrison, he was, he was little. He was, well, I don't know if Vanessa could tell you, but I was, he was little, seven, eight, six, somewhere in there. And he was up, we were at the, our in-law's house, her mom and daddy's house, and he was playing with something, like a stick of some kind, and he fell off the couch. That thing jabbed up into his, up into it, up his mouth, and it was scary there for a little bit. They put him, we took, rushed to the hospital, and they did all that stuff. And it was just, oh, my goodness. I remember, I, I can, just thinking about it now, it kind of makes me panic, just thinking about it. He ended up being fine. He's hard-headed as they come, but as you know, he's a big old ugly fellow now. But I do remember whenever it kind of, kind of the, the relief that felt whenever it was like, it's going to be okay. Yeah, he's got a cut up there, it didn't go too far, and all the things they told us. But there was a relief that just come over. And I can only imagine if my boy's dead, he's gone. And I'm grieving his death, and I'm ready to figure out how to bury him. And then the prophet comes down the steps and says, Hip, your boy's alive. What kind of relief that must be. That would be a wonderful thing. But one of the things that's interesting about these, these resurrection stories, and we'll, we'll look at several of them over the next uh, few weeks, is that um, with, with one exception, every one of them dies again. Every one of them. So I, I don't, the story's not told in the Bible exactly, but I can tell you right now, this boy is not alive right now. Now, he's in heaven or hell. We don't know where his eternal soul is, but as far as on this, on this earthly plane, he is not alive anymore. He is dead. It is appointed unto man wants to die. But I want you to see here, while it's a relief that this boy was alive, that was ultimately not the point. That was ultimately not the point yet. Don't get me wrong. Mama was happy. I would have been happy, but that was not the point. You see, because God was providing this woman something bigger than that. Yes, he's meeting her physical needs. God often does this. He meets our physical needs. He's, he knows where we are, and he meets that physical need. But I can tell you that your physical need pales in comparison to your spiritual need. There was a bigger need that this woman had, and she needed that met before anything else mattered. And that's what God was looking out for. Now, here's what I got you to see. You got, got to go with me on a little bit of a sidetrack to understand what I'm trying to get across here. Listen to me real quick. She is a pagan woman in a pagan land. Remember I told you she lives in Jezebel's hometown? Wor worship of Baal was what they did. It's kind of like 
apple pie and baseball is in America, it was worship Baal. That's what they did. Worshiping Baal, Baal was the fertility god. He was the one particularly that would bring the rains. According to their tradition, he would have bring the rains and made the crops grow. That's what they were dependent on. So they were looking to that, that Baal. This Baal, as you can imagine, because Israel, Ahab's bringing it into Israel, it is he, this Baal is a, an affront, an a, a insult to the one true God of the universe. Because let me tell you who all brings the rain. It ain't Baal, it's God. In case anybody was worried about that, let me go ahead and tell you, it's the God of the universe, he's the one who brings the rain. He's the one that brings provision. So here's a woman who is in this country, and we could argue, was it her fault, not her fault, whatever, but she's there. And let me tell you, when she got up in the morning, she would be worshiping Baal. When she got a chance, she would sacrifice to Baal. And now there's no two ways you can cut it. I don't know what your theology, all of your theologies are, but I can tell you, if you believe what the Bible believes, that means this woman deserved judgment, eternal damnation because of this. But what does she get? She gets God's grace. This is the way God operates. He gives her grace. He actually gives the presence of the prophet with her. In verse 9, you see that this prophet shows up. When her son is dying, what, is the, what does the prophet do? He covers the boy. He covers him up. Whenever he's dying and needs help, what does the prophet do? He intercedes for her son. But by the way, these are things that Jesus does for you and me. His presence is with us. He is the propitiation, the covering, the atonement for our sins. And he is the intercessor to the Father for me and you. That's what he does. We deserve judgment. We deserve hell. We deserve all of those things. But what we get instead, what she got instead, was the grace of God. He gave her grace. She deserves hell, but she gets the truth affirmed to her. In verse 24, you see what her response is. Now by this I know that thou, Elijah, art a man of God, and that the word of God, of the Lord is in thy mouth is truth. She's, she's saying the resurrection of this boy is proving that everything that God says is true. And, and can I go ahead and tell you that that is absolutely, positively what the resurrection does for us? Is if you have any doubts about the truth of Christianity, the truth of the Bible, you have to go back to that tomb in Israel. It was that in tomb in Jerusalem? Was that tomb? Is that tomb empty? Because if that tomb is not empty, it's all a bunch of hogwash. But if that tomb is empty, and I do believe it is, and that tomb, by the way, is the tomb of Jesus Christ. If that tomb is empty, then my goodness, there's something here. Something's true. He proves that he is better than all the idols. One, one, this is a little interesting thing, and I know I'm at the end of my time, but I need y'all to listen to this. This is so interesting to me. I hope it is to y'all. You see, what Baal would do was, according to the, their, their legend, he would bring the rain. You know what God did? He said, if y'all are going to believe that junk, I'm going to stop the rain, and I'll bring it when I'm ready to bring it. Now, now, one of the interesting things that the Baal worshippers would do is they would, because this wouldn't be unusual to have drought from time to time in the Middle East. It would happen from time to time. It happens all over the place. And so they would explain away droughts. Well, they would say, well, Baal, from time to time, has to go to the underworld, and there's another god down there, the god of death. They called him Mot, M-O-T. He would kill Baal. And then there was another god, a goddess, actually, uh, that, uh, by the name of Anat, A-N-A-T, that she would then 
free Baal from the underworld and bring him back to life, resurrect him, bring him back, and he would start the rain again. That was the, their, their tradition. And God said, I'm going to stop the rain, and I'll bring it back when I want to bring it back. And you know what else I'm going to do? I'll bring this boy back to life when I want to bring him back to life. I'm not waiting on some stupid God that doesn't even exist. I'm going to do, God Almighty says, I'm going to do what I'm going to do when I'm going to do it because he is trustworthy. He is the only one who can sustain life. He is the only one who gives life. He is the only one who even gives any good gifts. I can tell you, even if you don't claim to be a Christian here today, if you have anything good in your life, James chapter 1 and verse 17 tells me all of those gifts came from the Father above. You have the gifts that you have in your life, the good things in your life, the things that you say, I like that. It is a gift from God. God is the one who provided. God is the one who gave that to you. That is a gift from God. Now, we pervert it. We worship it. We do all kinds of crazy things with these gifts from God, but they're all gifts from God. They are things that God has given to us, and that is the only source of anything good. We instead, what we do is we trust our jobs. We trust our politicians, we trust our friends, we trust our money, we trust, our, we trust our, our own strength, we trust our own ability, we trust all of these things around us, but God is the only one who can sustain life, he is the only one who gives good gifts, go ahead and trust him, go ahead and give him your belief. He's the only one who can overcome death, hell, and the grave. God is able to provide. He has the power and the ability, he has the willingness, and he's done it before. As the song goes, and he'll do it again. He'll do it again. So you can trust God. You can trust God. Some of you have some pretty scary situations. Maybe it's a health problem, family scenario that maybe you're, you're wrestling through. Some of you may have some addictions that you're ashamed to tell anybody about. Maybe you have some shame from other sins that you're carrying around. So some of you are uncertain. What is, what's going to happen? I don't know why this is going to happen. Or some of you actually are a little bit too certain. I'm certain that this is going to end very badly, and you're upset about how it's going to end. Some of you are facing some opposition, some of it's unreasonable opposition. Maybe somebody's against you, fighting you on something that's just not reasonable. Some of you are dealing with some messes that you created. Uh, I, I, I sympathize with that one. I've created my own mess enough times. And some of you are, especially if you're maybe a parent having to help a child, maybe you're dealing with a mess that somebody else created. But I want you to know no matter how scary your situation is, no matter how overwhelming your situation is, there is one who made life, who gives life, who restores life, who renews life. And you can trust him to provide for you. You can trust him to sustain. You can trust him to overcome. He's handled harder stuff than your situation. He has. He really has. Now, I, I'm not trying to belittle your situation. I'm just trying to get you to see that whatever you've got thrown at you, and some of y'all got some bad stuff thrown at you, God's got, he's got this. He's, got, he's handled far worse. He brought his own son back from life, back from death. He brought his own son out of the grave. He's able to handle your situation he can handle that. He can do what no one else can even imagine doing. Not to even mention these false gods of Baal and Mott and Anat and all these others. I'm going to have an invitation. Y'all go ahead and stand. 
first of all, I want to, the invite, invitation I'm first going to extend to you that are, that are believers. I want to extend this to you first. If you have trusted Jesus, if Jesus is your Savior, you could say, yes, I'm trusting in his salvation. I'm so glad he rose from the dead. I'm believing in him. I'm saved. That's who you are today. You need to know that you can trust the Savior that saved you. He was strong enough to save you from sin. He's strong enough to deal with your circumstance. Why don't you come and just pour your heart out to him? If you need to try a few tears, go ahead and do that. If you need to get a little angry, go ahead and do that. Do what you got to do. God can handle it. You just bring it to him. You talk to him about it and trust him. The other invitation I want to give is those of you that are not Christians. You know what I'm talking about. You've heard this stuff before. I'd be surprised if you're in this room, you've not heard what I'm talking about before. But I want to go ahead and make a pointed request, a pointed invitation to you. One of these days, you're going to die. We don't like to think about it, but it's true. And when you pass off of this world and go into that next world, that afterlife as it's called, you're either going to go to heaven or you're going to go to hell. And the only way to not go to eternal death of hell and to instead go to the eternal life of heaven is to put your faith in Jesus Christ. He died on the cross, he shed his blood, he was buried, and he rose again for your salvation. If you will believe that for your need, you can be saved. Why don't you come? And I'll talk to you and I'll show you from the scriptures how you can just call out to the Lord. And if you don't need my help, that's fine. Just call out to him anyway, he'll help you why don't you come? Lord, please move among these people. Help them to respond to your provision. Help them to grasp onto it. Have hold of it. Eagerly. Trusting you. We pray this in Jesus' name.